What's up, Crossover fam? This is Tammy. We want to thank you for tuning in to our podcast. God has been moving in major ways in our community, and we're so glad that you get to be a part of it. We pray that this message encourages and inspires you to live out your calling in Christ. Enjoy this week's message. So the Lord gave me a word a few few weeks ago, and it was entitled Advancement, and I had a message about advancement and the whole, you know, theme of 2021, but, uh, you know, with, with, with what was happening this week in our nation, and I was praying and fast. I literally didn't even come into work this week, by the way. I was, I was so intrigued and so in with, with the Lord. I was like, you know what? I have to take this time with Jesus to be able to speak what he wants to say and not necessarily what I just think is good. So we're going we're gonna to share the message on advancement next week. And the Lord shifted some things around for me, and he wanted me to talk about the other side. Say the other side. And God knew what what was going to happen because I'm just piggybacking on what Pastor Phil preached on last week or the the week before. It's about the woman at the well. It was called what? Well Encounters. Well Encounters. And the Lord took me right back to that story. And I was, I was, have you ever been talking to God? You're like, Lord, like, I don't even know if this is you because he just preached on it. Why would I preach on the same thing that he just preached on? But I'm going to, I'm going to come from a different angle because God knew exactly what was going to happen in our nation this week. He knew exactly. So we're going to, we're going to jump right back into the same scripture. John 4, 7 through 9. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, that's not that big of a deal. We've all asked somebody for a drink before. But this was a big deal because of the type of people that it was. He was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. Two different people groups. So we're going to jump into that in a second. His disciples had gone out to get some food, so they weren't around at the time. The Samaritan woman said to him, I want you to pay attention to this, verse 9. You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? Basically, in Jesus' time, Jews did not associate themselves with Samaritans. So there's nothing new under the sun. Some of us in 2021, we're dealing with things because it's the first time that we've dealt with them in our lifetime. But the reality is there is nothing new under the sun. The climate that we're living in isn't something that has never happened before. Actually, it was like times a thousand in the time that Jesus was walking the earth. It was a thousand times worse because they were just blaming about it. Like, no, you don't mess with us Samaritans. And and actually, you know, Jesus actually got called a Samaritan at one time. They were like, you're either a Samaritan or you're demon-possessed. That's like calling them a slandering word. That's like saying, you know, there's all types of words that people call different people, different people groups, right, different colors of skin. There's all types of of words that when you say something to somebody, it hurts, and people fight over that. People get killed over this stuff. This is what was happening in Jesus' time. Samaritans, Jews, they didn't get along. Tons of people hating on other people groups because of where they grew up at, or because of the color of their skin, or because they had money, or because they didn't have money. There's a a saying that if we don't learn from history, we're bound to what? Repeat it. Hate isn't anything new in 2020. Hate isn't something new. Hate entered the world 
when Adam and Eve rebelled and sinned from God. That's when this thing called hate entered the world. So we're not dealing with some new type of hate in 2020. And when it comes to enemies, we don't even think twice when we have enemies. Our response all the time is emotional. If if something comes from them, we're automatically against it. Right? You ever ever thought about that? I grew up playing football. And, you know, if any other team besides my team, we just didn't like them. They just couldn't run a good play. They were were sorry. We called them all types of names. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And anytime you have an enemy, automatically you just assume everything they do is bad. We're against anything that they do. Whatever they're saying, it's wrong because I don't like them. Whatever they want, it's bad because they're my enemy. Whatever they're doing must be stopped. And we carry this attitude forward in our nation against our nation's opponents, you know, like China this, North Korea that, you know, Cuba this. And then all of a sudden, every, we, we think everything that they do is bad. Political adversaries. Well, I'm on this side. Everything that this side is doing is bad. Well, I'm on this side. Everything they're doing is bad. Let's bring it down to just common day, everyday things. Sometimes you live in a situation where you don't like the person next to you, living next to you. Ever, you ever had a bad neighbor before? I got a neighbor right now. I probably shouldn't say it, but they don't like my dogs. And every time I let my dogs out, it's a problem in, in my backyard. And so, I, you know, all of a sudden, like, I start to develop this, this mindset and this heart issue against my neighbor because they don't like my puppies. Neighbors who bug us. Family members who press our buttons. Y'all know that, that aunt or that uncle or that cousin or that, you know, you, you know who I'm talking about, right? They just know how to press your buttons. Every time Thanksgiving comes around, you, you, you go to your family gathering and all of a sudden you bump into cousin so-and-so. And it's always a problem. And they become like your enemy in your heart. And sometimes you think, man, I would go if that person wasn't there. You know, I would do this as long as that person would. Some of y'all work with people that you don't like. And no matter what they do, it bothers you in in your heart, even though everything they're doing isn't bad. I remember I had this manager one time when I worked in retail, and, man, I could not stand this person. The reason why they would bother everything I did was wrong. Everything I did was wrong. I couldn't do nothing right. Even though I thought I was doing it right, it was wrong to that person. So I developed this hatred in my heart. This is before I was a believer. I developed everything I thought about that man. Everything I thought about that person was bad. And I wanted to to share that because in biblical times, that's the mindset that pretty much sums up the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans. That's basically, that's basically the context of the, of the climate of the culture that Jesus was living in. Samaritans, oh, they did da 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 Jews, oh, they did da 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 You fill in the blank with everything that you hear in 2020 they were dealing with 2,000 years ago. Jesus decides to sit down with this woman. Break all the cultural bias, break down all the barriers, and sit with this woman at this well. He wasn't even supposed to be in that town, first of all. Nevertheless, sitting with the woman. 
nevertheless sitting with a Samaritan woman. But Jesus decided to go to the other side. Jesus decided to step into the enemy's camp. Jesus decided to sit down with this Samaritan woman. And the tension between these groups were so persuasive in both Old Testament and New Testament. I mean, there was things happening from the old all the way to the new against these Samaritans. Like, these people were, like, the most jacked up people in history. If you read the Bible, why were they so hated? You ever thought about that? Like, why did everybody hate these Samaritans so much? And I don't have time to break down the whole history of it. What I think I'll do is I'll probably write something, and we'll send it out in the 411 this week. We'll put it on the website, and you could break down some of the history of why these Samaritans were hated so much. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read just a little bit about the Samaritans. Some scholars say Samaritans were probably Israelites from Samaria who spread out over the territory while the Judeans were gone. Some say Samaritans weren't Israelites, but they were descendants of Mesopotamians, foreigners, seeded into the land by Assyria. Others describe Samaritans as descendants of Judeans, who didn't go into exile with the rest. Check this out. Because they'd run away and they'd come back when the danger was gone. You know, the people who, who run from, from danger and then they come back like everything's cool? No wonder why people hated them. We got people who, who did that in America when they did the draft, the Vietnam draft. People ran away because they didn't want to go to war and then they came back. And then the people who went to war hated those people. They're like, you ran from what everybody was, was called to do. And that, that's, some people describe the Sumerians like, like that. They ran and they come back after the danger was gone. Or because they weren't skilled or educated enough to be used by Babylon, so they were left behind. These were, these were the not good enough. These were the people that didn't bring nothing to the table. In any event, the non-exiles didn't suffer with their kinfolk and they didn't deserve to be counted amongst them. These were the Samaritan people. The Samaritans seemed strange to everybody else. They didn't fit in. They didn't perform the religious rituals the, the correct way according to the Jews because some of their, their traditions were in, incompatible with the ideas about the Jewish God, about the Jewish Messiah. Samaritans considered the northern, northern Mount Gerizim to be holier than, than Jerusalem's Mount Zion. And you read it when Jesus was sitting at the well with the lady in John 4.20. He says, our father, she says, as our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place to worship. See, they even had religious differences. They had political differences. They had all these different differences but Jesus chose to step into the other side and sit down with this woman and speak to this woman, even though the, uh, the, the mindset of the culture, even though the law even of the culture was saying, do not do that. You're not supposed to like these people. You're not supposed to, you know, you don't rock with their political ideology. You don't rock with them because of X, Y, Z. Yet Jesus stepped into it. See, they recognized the five books of, of, the, of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy as their scriptures. 
They're returnees from Babylon. They had composed books of history and collected prophecies to add to their holy books. Some of their prophets, Amos, Isaiah, Hosea, Ezekiel, and Michael, had nothing good to say about the people of Samaria. You believe that? Prophets in the New Testament had nothing good to say about these Samaria, Old and New Testaments. Judean leaders tried to resolve the conflict. The priest Ezra thought there could be reconciliation between these two societies, between these two people groups, and praise God for people like Ezra. But the governor, Zerubbabel, took a racist approach. You know what he said? He says their blood is impure. They're simply not us. Verbal disputes led to insults. Insults led to physical violence. Jews versus Gentiles, Gentiles versus Jews. This was the climate that Jesus was in when he sat down as a Jewish man next to this Samaritan woman. We hate our enemies for a lot of reasons in life. Right? We're seeing political hate. We're seeing you know, historical hate, religious hate, blood hate, strangeness, a sense of grievance. Inherited disapproval. We don't like them because our parents didn't like them. Generationally, we don't like these people. That's what was happening with the Jews and the Samaritans. Even the disciples were wondering why Jesus was talking to this woman when they came back from getting some food. You read about it in verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and they were surprised to find him talking with this woman. What were they surprised about? They were surprised that he had crossed to the other side. They were surprised that Jesus, as a Jewish man, was not supposed to be talking to a Samaritan times 100 when it comes to a woman. Culturally, that was not okay. Jesus chose to not let those barriers, not let those walls, not let those things stop him. He went to the other side because he had a plan for reconciliation. He had a plan to change the atmosphere because there was nothing like heaven. Hate begins somewhere. Did you know that? I just told you where it began. It began in Genesis. But guess what also? So does acceptance. Hate began somewhere, but so does acceptance. And so the question is, what are we going to do to model Jesus and step into the other side to bring acceptance, love, and reconciliation? Because we are reconcilers. Did you know that? We are reconciled. We, we can't wait for another person to be voted in to reconcile this nation. We as the church, we as the body of Christ, as sons and daughters of the Most High King, are called to be reconcilers. But you can't reconcile unless you're willing to step onto the other side. It's time to, to, to step into history because we're living it right now. We're writing history right now. And what is the next chapter of your life going to be written about? We want to step into the other side. The first point is this. What did Jesus do to step into the other side? Jesus became the bridge. With this woman, with this Samaritan woman, Jesus became the bridge. 
What is a bridge? A bridge, you ever, you ever drive down 85 and you go to this thing called Spaghetti Junction? You drive under it, there's all these bridges. You ever done that? Raise your hand. Yes. Spaghetti Junction. We got any ATLians in here? Spaghetti Junction. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And there's all these bridges. And you pass it. It's pretty cool. Sometimes I, if I'm not driving, I'll take a picture of it. It's just cool. There's like 20 bridges. And what it's doing is it's connecting one highway to another highway. The reason why there's bridges is because there's so many of them, they can't just all connect because it would be chaos. Like we were in, I can't remember where we were. I think it was like Kenya, Africa. No, it was Nepal. I was in Nepal a few years ago, and there's no bridges there. And there's different roads that come into these, these circle things, but there's no lights either. There's no traffic lights. And it's like anything goes. But it, it's just it's organized chaos. It's the best way for me to describe it. It is chaos. People die. There's accidents every minute. And it's crazy. But we said, no, we don't want, we don't want craziness. We don't want accidents. We don't want people to die. What we're going to do is we're going to build a bridge. And a bridge is for your safety. There's things on the side of a bridge that, that come up, right? And, and, and there's a wall there so that you don't fall off of the bridge because there's people that can't drive in Atlanta. Can I get an amen? Don't let it rain. Don't let it get 32 degrees. <laughs> we got down. Remember when we first, I first moved to Atlanta, night, the end of 1999, I heard this term called black ice. And I'm like, black ice? That sounds like a goodie mob song. What is that? And then I drove on the road, and I hit some of it, and I'll never forget. I was like, I don't ever want to hit no black ice again. But there's things, walls, that, that, that are there for our safety. But the bridge is meant to get us from one place to another place safely. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was building a bridge to get this woman into freedom. And not just the woman. See, him sitting at the well wasn't just for her freedom. It was for the Jews' freedom as well. See, we see, when we look at enemies, when we look at people that are different than us, we try to set them free. But see, when God does something, it wasn't, it's not just for one side. It's for both sides. It's to set both sides free in the name of Jesus. See, the disciples are looking at him like, what are you doing sitting with them? All throughout the, the, the Gospels, we see Jesus doing things. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time was like, what are you hanging out with those people for? It wasn't just to set them free. It was to set free the whole mindset of the religious system. Jesus came to do things that were 360 degrees. It wasn't just about one thing. See, everything he was doing was for everybody, for humanity. Because we're all made in his image. 1 Peter 2 says this, put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. That's for you and me. We got to put that stuff away. Because when we're dealing with things that we don't like, all of a sudden, these are the first things that start to pop up. We start to slander people. We start to, start to deceive things. We start to, you know, talk in a negative way about God's children. See, when you start to look at people you don't like as sons and daughters, it changes the way you think. It really does. It changes the way you think. Some of us deal with lusts, right? We, we look at people and we lust after people. When you start to look at him or her as a son and daughter of God, it changes things. It's like, oh, that's my sister, that's my brother. Lord, forgive me. 
Forgive me for thinking things of this person, good, bad, ugly. Jump back to the verse. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. When I read that, talking about growing up, I think of Ephesians 4, which our church is modeled after. We're called to, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to mature the believer, to walk in the fullness of what God wants you to. And when I hear this, I read about the deceit, the hypocrisy, the envy, the slander. And then I say, and he says, you know, long for spiritual milk that you can grow up. Why does he say that right after that? Because when we do the first thing, that's immaturity. We're bashing God's people because we're immature men and women of the kingdom. That it might you grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, have you, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men. Listen to that. But in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, to be holy, to be a holy priesthood, and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. I could preach a whole message just on this verse, but I want you to focus on, you're called to be a holy priesthood. The Latin word for priest means bridge builder. The Bible says that we, right, men and women of the kingdom, our royal priesthood. That means me and you are called to step into the other side. We're called to build bridges, not walls. We're called, I'm going to say that again. We're called to build bridges, not walls. That's what priest means, a bridge builder. There's certain, you know, the Catholic faith, there's a lot of things wrong with it. But they got one thing right. They understand that people go to the priest, and the priest is the one who talks to God and talks back to the people. Where they got it wrong was that there's only certain priests. When the Bible says we're all priests, you can go to God the Father because you're a priest. You could be the bridge builder in your community. You could be the bridge builder with the manager that you don't like. You could be the bridge builder with the Samaritan woman. You could be the bridge builder with the Republican or the Democrat. You are the bridge builder in Jesus' name. The second point is that Jesus sat down with her. Mark 2.15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law and the Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with these people, with these sinners? On hearing this, Jesus overheard it. He said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Come on, somebody. If that's not a bridge, I don't know what is. Jesus came to step into the other side of the religious mindset of his age. And we're called to do the same thing. People are like, you can't go there. You can't do that. Listen, you can't, if, see, one thing Jesus never did is Jesus never partook in the things that they were doing. 
See, he didn't come to that to have a party, get drunk, and have sex. That's not why Jesus was there. Jesus was there to rescue the sick, to heal the sick, deliver them from their mindset, their ways, so that they could have a new life in his kingdom and live eternally with him. See, Jesus, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, was the whole world fixed? Think about that. Jesus says that his work was finished, but was everybody saved? Was everybody healed? Was everybody delivered? So why are we looking for someone to come in and fix everything? But what Jesus did is he offered a door, a gateway into a kingdom where all things are possible. And see, we focus on the temporal, the temporary, this life. Jesus was focused on the eternal. They were trying to pull Jesus into all the political system of the time. They knew he was king. They're like, all right, if you're king, why don't you come and your armies come and fight? They were trying to make him like a political king. He says, nah. He says, you don't understand. If my kingdom was of this world, my people would fight. For my kingdom is of a whole other world. He's talking about an eternal world, that nothing will be taken away from that. And see, we focus on the temporal. We focus on the here, the now. We focus on this year. But God is focused on eternity. So he sat down with this woman. The idea of sitting with someone that thinks differently than us sometimes appalls us. See, we want, we want them to lose. We want them to be embarrassed on social media. We want to put them out there. We want people, we want to put them to shame where people laugh at them. It's not even right to want to see Muslims die. Did you know that? A lot of us want to see these people who, you know, who are committing murder a lot of times. We want to see them die. I want to see them converted and living out God's best for their life. See, people's differences, they start as political differences. They evolve to cultural differences. And they end up being religious differences. And then all of a sudden, hate just enter, enters our heart. And all of a sudden, we're treating people like Samaritans or like Jews. It's hard to know where objectivity ends and hate takes over. Because it's a fine line between the two. And we're seeing that in our nation right now. Unless you invite someone into your world to sit at your table. See, Jesus sat with her, and he wasn't supposed to do that. Right? Jesus ate with Pharisees in Luke 7. A sinful woman heard about him eating, and she came, and she brought perfume, and she washed his feet with her tears, the Bible says, in Luke 7. Jesus always went to the other side of culture, of religion, even of politics, and sat with people. The third thing is this. Jesus accepted her. Despite cultural differences, despite that what the world would say, despite religion, despite politics, 1 John 4, 20, if, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, for he is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he sees cannot love God who he has not seen. That's a scripture that I put down in my heart. 
And I have to remind myself as a pastor that I'm called to love my neighbor. I'm called to love people who don't think like me. I'm called to love people who don't look like me. And if I don't, I can't love God. Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. I love Martin Luther King Jr. He said this right here in Atlanta. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Jesus had every right to condemn this woman. It was actually in the law that she was supposed to die for what she did. She was supposed to get stoned. And you read about this in another story in John 8. Jesus returned from the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back at the temple. A crowd gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law, check that out, and the Pharisees brought a woman to him who had been caught in adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses, I want to point that out. The law says that we are to stone her. What do you say? And if you know this story, Jesus knelt down on the ground, and the Bible says he started to write in the sand. And it says that the oldest, the eldest of the men that were around there left first to the point where everybody bounced. Jesus looked at her and says, woman, where are your accusers at? She looked around and nobody was there. Then he says something that's so powerful. Go and sin no more. You are forgiven. If they don't condemn you, I don't condemn you either. You are free in the name of Jesus. Go, but don't do the same stuff that I just set you free for. So when Jesus was sitting with this other woman at the well, she had just confessed to a crime. Jesus could have condemned her to death and would have been okay with the law. But see, Jesus stepped to the other side. A lot of times we blindly excuse our side, people who think like us, People who look like us, people we agree with, while we wildly accuse the other side. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't stand with the Jewish leaders of the time. Jesus stepped into eternity. Even though the law said to stone her, Jesus says, No, you're forgiven. Which leads me to my last point. He chose to forgive her. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. See, the issue with Jews and Samaritans, it was a battle for control over land. Who deserved to be there? Who was there first? This is my land. You took this. No bloodshed. All of this stuff was being fought about, but it was a battle of control. And we see a lot of that happening in our lifetime. But Jesus accepted this woman. He sat down with her. 
He offered her truth, love, and acceptance. He forgave her. Then he sent her out as an urban missionary. And we know, we, we read about it in John 4, 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. What? When you step into the other side, God will start to move in your life. God will transform your life. God will cause you to think differently. God will bring family members into your life that you would have been enemies with before. And then all of a sudden, that enemy becomes a missionary. Because you chose not to go along with culture. You chose not to go along with the ideologies of this world. But you chose to be a bridge builder. And you chose to sit down with someone who don't think like you. I love Matthew 18. It says this, Then Peter came up and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? I mean, this person keeps doing the same thing over and over and over, and I'm sick and tired of it, Jesus. I can imagine Peter saying it like that. I'm tired of forgiving this person. They keep doing the same mess. They're never going to change. How often should I forgive them? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. He's saying, just keep forgiving them because I keep forgiving you. Oh, Jesus, we fall short, Lord. So what are we going to go hard for in 2021? Our family or our politics? We're not going to fight each other, but we're going to fight for each other in 2021. See, politics, religion, culture, a lot of times divide us, but family is what unites us. We're all made in the image of God, and when you come into the kingdom, the Bible says that you've been adopted into a family. One thing I know about family, good, bad, ugly, I defend my family. I defend my family. Differences become not as important because I defend people I love. We have to be humble. We have to go low. And I want to end with this. Who are you inviting to your dinner table in 2021? Who are you bringing in to sit down with? Today I want to end service with us sitting at the Lord's table. I want us to take communion so we can get that ready. Jesus sat at the table with his disciples. He broke bread and drank wine. And we do this to remember what he's done for us. He says this in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. And that's all I do. It's my whole life is dedicated to that. What I receive, I just pass on to you. I don't have it all figured out, but he does. And together, we're going to go to the Lord. We're going to eat with him and we're going to drink with him. We're going to have a seat at his table. And I believe the Lord is going to move powerfully in your life in 2021. But we have to 
sit down with people. We have to be bridge builders. We have to forgive people. We have to go low. share one more thing as the pastor leaves out. When Jesus was sitting at this table, I want you to remember that Judas sat at the table with him. And Jesus allowed Judas to eat with him knowing that he was going to betray him. Mm, think about what type of bridge builder is that? Judas ate too. Wow. My question to me and you is can I have that type of love for people? In 2021, can I love my enemies so much? that I'll buy them dinner knowing that they're going to betray me. The Bible says this, for I received from the Lord but I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke the bread and said this is my body broken for you. which is for you. Take of this bread in remembrance of me. Let's eat of the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup, the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, remembering what I did for you. Jesus shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. And when you drink of this cup, ask the Lord to forgive you for all of your sins. Forgive you for the way people, for the way you treated people. Forgive the people that treated you indifferent. And then in the year 2021, I'm going to be willing to step into the other side and sit down with people and have conversations with people and love people unconditionally and let Judas eat too. Drink of the cup. Father God, I thank you, God, for your word. I pray against division in this nation right now, God. May we be the answer to loving our neighbors. We come against the tactics and the schemes of the enemy in 2021. May you cause your church to rise up. May you cause your church to light on fire. May you cause your church to be a city upon a hill, God. When the world starts to grow darker and darker and destruction starts to destroy economies and neighborhoods, may the church shine bright, Lord God. Lord, we live in a different economy that's not bound to the economy of this world. For in your kingdom, Lord God, all we can do is advance. And so we speak life over each and every person that's hearing my voice. Prosperity, healing, and wholeness. May we walk out the fullness of what you have for us, God. But may we love our enemies. 
May we do good to those that hate us. And may we sit down, even with the Judases, and break bread. We love you, Lord.